0: morning. Man, what a morning. What great worship this morning. So so exciting to be here with you. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View Church. If you're joining us for the first time, so glad you've joined us for worship. If you're joining online for the first time, welcome. We're glad you're here with us as well. Uh, Today's a great day. We're starting our new sermon series called Resurrections. It's our Easter sermon series. It's going to lead us right into Easter. Uh, we're really excited about Easter this year. We have some special things planned for our Easter service. I'd encourage all of you to maybe invite your neighbors, uh, coworkers, family, and friends. It's going to be a great time of just sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, celebrating uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter morning. So, we just want to encourage you to do that, and we can just pack out the high school to be a great time. So, I want to encourage you for that. That's just in a couple more weeks, right? Easter's here already. Who's ready for for the warm weather? Anybody? Oh, There's three of us. We're really excited. That's awesome. No, it's great, isn't it? It's going to be like 65 today. It's going to be, going to be awesome. So um, I'm really looking forward to the warm weather. Christianity is based on the claim of supernatural divine intervention. Think about that for a second. Christianity is based on this claim of a God-man who lived on the earth was murdered on the cross and then rose from the grave three days later. I want us to just kind of wrap our minds around that for just a second. Think about that, That, that the whole of Christianity sits or rests on this belief, this faith, this idea that a man died on the cross. He was buried. And then three days later, rose from the dead. That is supernatural, miraculous, and just mind-blowing and wild. But that is the, the heart, the foundation of Christianity. Now, we've been in 1 Corinthians. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, Paul's been addressing some issues that the church had in Corinth. That's why we have this letter from Paul to the church in Corinth that's called 1 Corinthians. And he's been addressing some false teachings. He's been addressing some, some ways that they've kind of messed up their church gatherings. And he's trying to iron some things out for them and give them some clear direction. He starts out the letter talking about, hey, you guys are divided. And that's terrible. We need to be unified as a church. So really, kind of the foundation and the idea behind this letter is that he would draw the church together in unity. And one of the things that's kind of been prevalent throughout our whole study here is this idea of unity, but based on humility, that we really can't have unity in the church unless we come together in humility, he starts talking about the gifts, the spiritual gifts, and he says these, these gifts that God has given you, and, and if you're a Christian, you've given your life to Christ, God has given you spiritual gifts, amazing gifts to use, Paul says, for the common good, that we are all here for one another, that you're not here on accident or happenstance, but God has a purpose for you, that before the world began, before time began, God knew your name. The Bible says that he had set aside good things for you to do. So you're not here by accident. You have a destiny, a destiny that was set aside for you before time began. It's amazing that God knew us. He knew our name. He knew what we would do in our lives. And and he had something good planned for you. And Paul gets into all that. And he says, all of those things that God's given you are for the common good. That means that, that our gifts aren't given for us. They're given for that guy or girl you're sitting beside. Look around the room for just a second here. Look to your left and to your right, maybe behind you or in front of you. Your gifts, your spiritual gifts that God's given you are for them. It's for each other. And we, we are a beautiful representation of, of, to, of God's glory and, and God's working as people look in at the church and see us using our gifts selflessly for one another. It's this really, really cool picture. Well, as you get into uh, chapter 15 here, Paul really addresses another false teaching that had kind of crept into the church in Corinth, and that was that there was no resurrection of the saints, that there was no resurrection after we die. So that was a false teaching. He's going to be addressing that today. Now, we're going to jump ahead just a little bit. I know we've been going verse by verse, and um, we, would, we would start today normally at chapter 15, verse 1, but I'm saving verses 1 through 11 for Easter So go ahead and you can mark that or know about that. But we're going to jump to verse 12 and we're going to come back to verse 1 at Easter. But let's go ahead and pray together before we read God's word this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time of worship that we've had together, the time of remembrance that we've had together as we took the bread and the juice that represent your broken body and your blood shed for our sins. God, we thank you and celebrate the gift of grace that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. That he did die and rose again, conquering sin and death for us. And we now walk into freedom because of the grace and mercy that you poured out upon us through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, be with us. We pray that you would change us, that you would change our minds and our hearts, that truth would prevail in our minds and hearts, that you would do what only you can do, change our hearts. Grow us for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's pick it up here in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now the first thing I want to pull out of these this text we're going to be going through and this first fill-in in in your notes as you came in you should have received a little program and there's some some notes you can follow along with if you'd like the first fill-in is this is that christianity without the resurrection is futile christianity without the resurrection is futile we believe christ rose from the dead This is not some folklore or fairy tale. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He wasn't some spirit or hallucination, but He was there in resurrected flesh, brought back to life. This is a key belief in the Christian faith. Without it, Christianity is meaningless, worthless, useless, as Paul says, futile. And we would be a people to be pitied. This means, though, that Christ's resurrection, that He's risen from the dead, this means that, that Christ Jesus has the power over death. So He can live up to His promises. That He's going to bring us back to life with Him into eternity. Since Christ is alive, we will live again in eternity. Now, Christ's resurrection was different than any other resurrection we see in Scripture. Jesus was raised to eternal life. Others, like Lazarus, you might say, as you've read through the New Testament, there's another guy who was raised from the dead. His name was Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he would die again. Jesus would not die again. Jesus would live and does live forever. Jesus was, rise, was risen into his glorified state. He could appear and disappear at will. We see him do that throughout the story we see in the New Testament. There are so many amazing things, powerful things, about the resurrection. But I want us to look at just a couple of them, specifically, for you and me. The first, thing, the first one is this, that you and I are justified, we're justified because of Jesus' resurrection We're justified. Paul says that Jesus was put to death for our trespasses and raised for our justification in Romans 4:25. That means that we are declared righteous before God, because Jesus was raised from the dead. You are not declared righteous before God because you have lived a good life or done good deeds. Or not lost your temper in a while, or not yelled at the kids this week, or not thought sinful thoughts or anything like that. You are declared righteous solely because Jesus was raised from the dead. Think about that for just a second. I don't know about you, but as, as I live out my life, I, I, I want to be a good guy. I, I want to do what's right. But there's a struggle that goes on inside of me. I, you know, there's, there's thoughts that come across in my mind. I'm like, man, where did that come from? And there's, there's things that I do or things that I say that I'm just like, oh, man, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Or I wish I wouldn't have said that. There's this, there's this war going on inside of me. And there's a war going on inside of you. That there's this, this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that lives in the believer He's given to us at salvation, and, and, and the Holy Spirit is changing us and, and growing us. He's molding us into the person that God has called us and, and, and really has for us to be. But at the same time, there's this, this flesh man, this flesh that lives in us and, and is fighting that, and, and there's temptation from the world, and, and, and once in a while we, we struggle and we, we make mistakes, and, and that's a part of the Christian life, you know. Christianity, being a Christian, doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that you're forgiven. And it means that you are being progressively changed into a picture or a Christ-likeness that can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. I've talked about it this way before: that as we live out our Christian life, it's it's like we start here, we meet Jesus, right? And we're we're right here and 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 we're like this is awesome this is great and and we we make these huge strides forward as God is changing us we're super excited about our faith we take like these steps forward and and we're doing great and then all of a sudden maybe some of those bad habits kind of get the best of us and it feels like oh man and we take these two steps back we're like wow bummer man i was like i thought i was doing so good but but God continues his amazing work and he convicts us of sin and, and he's he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. So he meets us in that and we're like, this is awesome. He's really changing me and growing me. And, and I, I see this change that I'm doing different things. And but then again, you know, we fall into something else, you know, or or a new thing comes into our life that, that we're struggling with. And it's like, dad, gone. I take a couple steps back and it's just like, oh Lord, will you forgive me? I, I can't believe that I'm, you know, doing this and we take those couple steps back and but God meets us. God's faithful. He's not up there surprised that you've made a mistake. He's not up there going, "Oh myself, what am I going to do with Matt?" He knows. And the Bible says he loves us anyways. And he meets us. The Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And he meets us with kindness and pulls us forward and forward and forward. And that journey, we may take a step back and then forward and forward. And the next thing you know, three years down the road, five years down the road, you stop and you look back and you're just like, wow. I mean, I am a completely different person. Man, God has changed me. All those things that He's brought me through and all the struggles and the suffering and the pain, the victories and the beauty of salvation and the working of sanctification or change. It's amazing what God does in our lives. That, that is what the resurrection means for you and me. That we've been justified. Justified from our sins. And we are righteous in God's eyes because Jesus rose from the dead man isn't that good to know you've been justified you are justified not by the number of battles that you win but by the war Jesus has already won let that sink in for just a minute you are not justified by the number of battles you win you are justified by the war that Jesus has already won all right the second thing The second is that we can now, since we have put our trust and faith in Christ, live a regenerate life or new God-empowered life because of what Jesus has done, his resurrection. Peter says that we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's in 1 Peter 1.3. Now here he connects Jesus' resurrection with our regeneration or new birth. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had a new quality of life, a resurrection life, and a human body and human spirit that were perfectly suited for fellowship and obedience to God forever. In his resurrection, Jesus earned for us a new life just like his. We do not receive all of that new resurrection life when we become Christians For our bodies remain as they were, still subject to weakness, aging, and death, but in our spirits we are made alive with a new resurrection power. It is through His resurrection that Christ earned for us this new kind of life we receive when we are born again. This is why Paul can say that God has made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him. Ephesians 2 and Colossians 3. What it means is this is that God reached down while we were still in our sin. We had hard hearts towards Him. We were on our way to fulfilling ourselves and selfishness and sin. And while we were yet sinners, God, in His grace and mercy, reached down. And took out a heart of stone that was hardened towards him. Was hardened towards righteousness. And he replaced it with a heart of flesh. That was receptive to his leading and guiding. And now since Christ is resurrected and we have this new life. We have the opportunity to choose righteousness. Because Christ lives in you and me. Before Christ died, before we accepted him as our Lord and Savior, we were destined for a life of of separation from God, a life of sinfulness, a life of selfishness, a life centered around me, centered around Matt, centered around ourselves. And what God does is He takes this idea of, of me right here in the center, and I have my church and I have my. My school or I have my, my friends or I have my other things outside of this. This is my circle, right? And I'm right. it. He takes me out of the center of my circle and he puts his son Jesus Christ right there in the center. And I'm a part of a, a bigger story, an amazing story. And I have a destiny to be a part of this amazing story of redemption that God is working through his kingdom power all around us. Because Christ was raised from the dead, we can live that new life, live out that destiny that Christ has set aside for you and me. We've been justified, and we have new resurrection life because Christ was raised from the dead. Jesus didn't die just to save us. He died to change us too. What a great truth that is. You know, Jesus will never, ever leave you alone. Isn't that good to know? He will never, ever leave you alone. That's so reassuring. That's so comforting until He starts messing with your stuff. Right? Let's just be honest. I mean, as soon as I said that I'm sharing that, everybody's like, oh, that's great. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And then he starts messing with your stuff. And he says, he says, hey, Matt, I see what you're doing over there. I don't know that that's the best thing for you. And you're like, Ugh, are you kidding me? I really like cheesecake, though. I really like it, you know, it, whatever it may be, right? All of us have our stuff, Right? And God, He's he's so faithful, He's so true and just and righteous, just amazing. The Bible also says that He's a jealous God too, that He's not going to stand for us worshiping something or someone else. And so He comes alongside us gently with kindness and compassion, and He says, man, Matt, I got something better for you than this. I'm going to start working self-control into your life. I'm going to start working patience into your life. I'm not going to let you sit on the sidelines anymore. I'm going to put you in the game. It's time for you to play your part. I have something for you. What's God? What's your stuff? What's God getting his hands into in your life right now? Because I know this, He is active in your life right now. Is He stretching your faith? I know He's stretching mine. Is He building that trust? How is God changing you today? Let's pick it back up in verse 20. Chapter 15, verse 20. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. Now, the second thing I want to pull out right here is really important. Jesus is coming again to bring perfect justice. Jesus is coming again to bring perfect justice. It says that he is going to rule and reign. He's going to make all the wrong things right. Now, I don't know about you, but as I live out my life, there is this tension, this friction that just I struggle with. And there's this there's evil that goes on in the world. And you're just like, man, we got to deal with this. You see injustice all around us. And we see horrific things happening. Genocides and just tornadoes and earthquakes and just horrific things. And you're like, God, when are you going to do something about this? God, I, I, I know that you are good. I know that you are all powerful, but there's this friction that we live in. God, when will you do something? He's going to do something. And that's what Paul's getting at. He is coming again. And he's going to make all the wrong things right. And we are going to see what true biblical justice looks like. That's a big amen right after that one. Right? Because we all live in that friction. I guarantee you that you've struggled with this. I know that you've thought about this. And I'll tell you what, our world struggles with this. It's amazing. Our society is consumed with the idea of justice. R- racial justice, social justice, income justice, immigration justice, 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 justice. I could name hundreds of them. But let me be really clear with you and upfront with you right now. True and righteous justice cannot be achieved apart from our creator God. If we are going to pursue and see justice, it has to be done from a foundation of Scripture and empowered or fueled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any justice achieved or sought after apart from God's truth and biblical justice isn't justice at all, but only a man-made ideal that will leave us empty, wanting, and damaged. Should we seek justice? Absolutely. Wholeheartedly, we should run after justice. But we pursue justice. Now get this, this is really good. We pursue justice based on biblical truth. And knowing that that true and perfect justice will only come when Jesus comes again. That apart from our creator, apart from Jesus coming to set up shop and his power and glory, there will always be injustice around. Now we're to fight that injustice and stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves to get into the gap and to get into the mess and do all that we can. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for you and me. We have someone that stood up for us. We have someone that got into the gap. We have that person when I was a sinner stepped into my life and and took all of God's wrath for me. Why? We have to be a people that stand up when we see injustice. That do when people can't do for themselves. So yes, we work towards justice. But it is done from the foundation in ideas and reality that God lays out for us in His Word. That's the only way we can pursue justice. God's way. Justice is a natural outworking of the Gospel. We have been justified by Christ's resurrection and that free gift compels us towards justice for others. How can we not work towards justice when we have experienced the grace and mercy of God and the justification we have in Christ because of what He has done? Now the problem is oftentimes our world's idea of justice is quite different from the biblical definition of justice. So I would tell you this. In as much as our world is pursuing justice that aligns itself with Scripture, we should partner alongside or even lead the charge for biblical justice. But when the world's idea of justice and God's idea of justice differentiate themselves, we will go with Scripture and pursue justice according to God's Word. And get this. We will not lose heart because we know perfect justice is coming. Jesus is coming again. and all things, everyone, every single person will be subjected to him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will show us what real justice looks like. Let's pick it up, verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? Now, before we go any further, I just want to clarify. This could get kind of confusing. So before we get confused and all that, um, Paul is pointing out their misuse or misunderstanding of baptism here. And he's going to use even their own misunderstanding against them as far as their beliefs about the resurrection of the dead or the lack thereof. So he's, he's using his, their own misuse of baptism to kind of correct them here. So what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people be baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. The third fill-in in your notes is this. The gift of eternal life should fuel our Christian life. The gift of eternal life should fuel our Christian life. Now Paul continues to address these false teachers or this false teaching of no resurrection. And he goes so far as to use their own misuse or misunderstanding of baptism to convince them of their folly. In Corinth, there was some kind of baptisms happening there for those who had already passed away. Someone would be baptized on their brother. Uh, who had died a year before, on his behalf. So Paul says, even in the way that you practice baptism wrongly, you believe that there is a life to come. Or why why would you be baptized for someone who's already passed away? Now, we already know that in Corinth there was all types of sinful lifestyles going on. And there was all types of false teaching going on. And even, even in that time they would use the term, you're acting as a Corinthian, as a slang term for someone who is leading a very loose lifestyle or sinful lifestyle. So there was all types of things going on there. And so Paul, in this section, he starts using some of their terms against them. Not just their baptism, their misunderstanding of baptism, but he also using these slang terms they were using. You know, eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. They were using that as an excuse to just go on and sin. You know, and the, that false teaching that fueled that was, oh, there's, there's no resurrection of the dead anyway, so come on, man, let's eat, drink, and be merry. You ever heard that? It'd be like kind of what we use today, the, uh, YOLO. YOLO is you're just going to go and do your thing, right? Or send it, just send it, right? Now, we don't Hopefully, we don't do that to justify our sin or just to go into some sinful thing that we're going to do. But that was kind of the idea that Paul's using some of their slang terms against them, saying, Listen, this is the false teaching. You don't believe it because your practice shows you don't believe it. But this false teaching is is going into your life and you're living out sinfulness because of this false teaching. What he's really getting at is this if we don't believe in the resurrection, If we don't believe that we're going to be raised to life one day, why would would we live how Christ calls us to live? If there's no eternal life, do you see, when we lose sight of eternity, we miss out on some of the power that God's given us to turn away from sin. And that's exactly what was happening in Corinth. That's exactly what they were seeing. They had lost sight of eternity, some of this false teaching that had come in, and they were just living sinful lives. Listen, I love how Paul says this, bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. There is an eternity for you. It's it's, amazing. It's amazing. That we can get so caught up in this life. And I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, we, we, we have mortgages to pay or rent to pay. We have car payments. We have responsibilities as a spouse or as a single person. We have responsibilities with our kids. We have responsibilities at school or, or work or wherever it may be. We have all types of planning that we have. We have our church responsibilities. And and we can get so caught up in in all of these immediate things. Just that daily grind, right? That daily grind. We have all of these things that come onto our plate. And man, the enemy likes to distract us. And we forget who we are. And we forget whose we are. And we forget that there's an eternity waiting for you and me. And this life, this life is just a vapor, a mist, a wisp. It's here one second and gone the next. Here's one, one thing I can guarantee. That all of us are going to die. Every single one of us. And there's an eternity that awaits those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ and eternity with Him, all of us will be raised to one of two places. Separation from God or community with God. Heaven or hell. Let that sink in for just a second. Every single human being will be raised back to life to eternity to one of two places. That's what Paul's getting at. What does it lead Paul to say? For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. When we see the reality that the resurrection and what it means and its implications for you and me, that we see eternity, we should be moved to tell people that there's an eternity at stake, that you have an eternity at stake. There is more than just this life. There is a creator God who loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And he conquered sin. He conquered death when he rose from the grave. And God is inviting you into relationship with him. That's what Paul's getting at. All of this other stuff, all of these false teachings... Man, he's saying this is the basics, the gospel, the good news that moves us to compassion for our lost family members, our neighbors, our coworkers, our circle that we have around us, that God has placed around us. What an amazing truth. Don't get caught up. Don't get caught up. Now, we have responsibilities. We live out those responsibilities, and we do what God has given us to do here and now but we keep in mind eternity, that God has an eternity for you and me. What an amazing truth that fuels and compels us to share the truth of the gospel. We have all been saved from something. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, you have been saved from something. Remember that moment. And then think about that uncle, that aunt, that mother, mom or dad, grandmother, grandfather, neighbor, coworker that doesn't know Christ. God can work that same miracle he worked in your life for them. Share the good news of Jesus. And remember, we will be raised from the dead. It's really what Paul's talking about here. False teachings that say, no, no, no. This is this is life is all there is? Wrong. Dead wrong. There is a new life that we will be raised to. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. And that's the good news, isn't it? That's the good news. Let's, man, I I pray that, Mission of we are a church that tells everybody about Jesus. It tells everybody about Jesus. Because of what he's done in our lives. Amen? Let's pray together before I sing our last song. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we recognize that because Christ was raised from the dead, we also will be raised from the dead. The power, the resurrection power displayed in the person of Christ, that he will raise us up, that you will raise us up to be in relationship with you. God, we thank you for that gift, that grace, that mercy. And Father, I pray that you would make that more and more a reality in our lives today, that we wouldn't be distracted by the temporary things. But God, that we would keep our eyes on you. Move us to acts of mercy. Move us to acts of justice. Move us to to share the gospel and good news of Jesus Christ with everyone that we meet. We thank you for your son, Jesus and the great sacrifice he made for us. And we remember eternity. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.